Hello, friends. Welcome to The Imposters, a podcast series by PhD students for PhD students. I am your host, Francesca Vaghi, and each month you'll find me in conversation with two other PhD students talking about our woes, but also about our accomplishments. Today, my guests are two dear friends and colleagues from the anthropology department here at SOAS, Alina Posto and Imran Jamal. Thank you for tuning in on SOAS Radio, and welcome once again to The Imposters. So hello, welcome. Hi, Fran. Hey, how are you doing? I am good. How are you guys? Okay. Um, mm. Long day. Getting back into post-Easter work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling those brain waves still waking up. Oh yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'd like to introduce you both, or rather, I would love it if you could introduce yourself. So Alina, why don't you go first? Um, I'm a fourth-year PhD student in anthropology, um, trying to finish writing. <laughs> and should I tell you a bit about the project? Yes, yeah. we'll have time to go into it uh, in a bit as well. Okay. But go for it. Oh uh, yeah. So I'm I'm just working on um, church music in London. But as you say, we'll go into that a bit more. Thank you. I'm third year anthropology, and I'm trying to make sure I have 60,000 words, which is <laughs> good, enough to go into the fourth year of actually writing. <laughs> yep, aren't so, we yeah. all? Yes, actually, Alina is, is kind of our um, light in the dark, <laughs> showing us the path. A very dim one, <laughs> barely flickering at the moment. <laughs> That's no. the inspiration. Though. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Before we go into uh, our interviews today, I wanted to have a very quick uh, musical interlude. One of the songs that Alina sent me by George Enescu. Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I, it, took a, it took me a while to kind of decide on what to send. And I thought I would be, um, yes, I would, I would choose this. Is a, uh, so George Enescu is a Romanian composer um, who really drew on Romanian folklore quite a bit in, in his compositions. And this is actually a traditional folk, folk song that he sort of uh, adapted for orchestral work. Um, and it's sort of jumpy and fun. Exactly. And quick and I thought it was a nice one to get us like pumped. Yeah. So here it goes. It reminds me a bit of a bee flying around. A bee, yes, I guess so. Uh, Chocorlia uh, is the name of a of a bird, actually. I can't really think of the name in English. Yes, it's a, the na name of a bird. It's a folk song. Uh, usually you would have people sort of, in the old days, as they say it, you would have people on Sundays gathering together in villages and just dancing. And as you can hear, it's a very, very fast a song and in some version it starts slowly and then it gets quicker and quicker and quicker and people would would dance in a semicircle or a circle 
um, and it would get quick, quick, quick. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we should do that to wake us up at the beginning of yes. the day. <laughs> All right. I wanted to uh, get our listeners to hear a bit more about the interesting work that you're both doing. So, Thank you. Um, I was just trying to think, oh, I need to remember the title of my... <laughs> like, it's along the lines of developing morality an ethnographic something of development workers working in development in Bangladesh. Basically, um, and I was just complaining, not complaining, I was sharing with Elena <laughs> earlier. Choose your words <laughs> carefully. <laughs> I was sharing how I was trying to find articles. I'm, I've expanded into sociology now. Mm. That's how grim things have become. <laughs> no, no. Um, anthropol like writings on Bangladesh that isn't just on development to find something that I could write my earlier chapters on or so, uh, the social side of things because I'm really in bored I guess is one way of saying it or the other way is that there is really a dearth of literature on development actors in Bangladesh everything is about what's happening on the ground so the delivery of programs projects uh, effectiveness, case studies, what's worked, what's not worked. And even the articles that I could find, and I was just going through one well-known like anthropological journal over the last 10 years, and there were about 10 or so, and it was all public health or mm. microfinance-related and things like that. Whereas I'm more interested in the people who make decisions at the top as opposed to field workers, because that's where the focus is. And my research is trying to look at how decisions are made, not just decisions, how these development organizations, and I'm focusing on newer organizations. So by new, I've arbitrarily decided my supervisor, ones that have been around for five to eight years. So from the late noughties, I guess, um, and elite actors. So people who come from privileged backgrounds or within development, they are seen as elite actors due to multiple different reasons, which I am still refining. So yeah, so why they do it, how they do it, uh, the morality of it being more in terms of the situational context into how they make decisions both within the workspace, but also outside and how these actors or these so these individuals and these organizations um, trying to do development in the sense of the matching what they think is required in the local with what donors want of them as well as what individuals or these individuals think um, modernity I guess looks like even though I don't want to go into the modernity discourse in my because it's like snooze mm. Good. I'm, I'm sure people listening to this. researchers on modernity. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, we'll get a lot of hate mail. From I was them. just going to say, um, edit. <laughs> <laughs> or I apologize to people working on modernity. It is very interesting. It's just not something that tickles my fancy. See, yep. this is how you hone your academic skills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beautiful like, turns of phrase. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Imran. On to you, Alina. Um, so I was just thinking while listening to you that you have a very articulate way of presenting your research. Whereas, um, yeah, um, so my, uh, I, I have a title and I have to stick with it now because it's getting too late. So the title of my dissertation uh, will be uh, Variations on an Anglican Theme, Sound Music and the Making of Christian Bodies. So I am looking at sound and music and how they're used in 
creating, I guess, a sense of spirituality, religion, church going. So I'm kind of looking into all of all these uh, various dimensions of that that sort of interweave in in uh, uh, in churches, uh, and I'm looking at how sound and music uh, help. Uh, individuals create a sense of their own spirituality or religiosity. I'm using both terms because they're both very loaded and they're both used differently by people in each church. And this leads me into saying that it's a comparative ethnography. Um, I'm looking at two Anglican churches, both in London, one uh, Anglican evangelical and the other one, uh, what they call a middle of the road parish church. Uh, and it took me months to really get a sense of what middle of the road <laughs> really means, really signifies for, for people. Um, and so there are churches with very different styles of music, very different styles of uh, services. Um, and I'm looking at how they use music and sound in different ways to really uh, help frame their particular doctrines um, and understandings of, of what Christianity is. Yes, that would be the gist of it. Good. Maybe when we are in crisis about what it is that we're doing, we can listen back to this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and remember from our past selves what it is that we're doing. Would you yeah. like to tell the re uh, listeners, I was going to say readers. <laughs> <laughs> there are other forms of communication, Imran. Uh, well, yes, I could. Um, very concisely, my, my research is on children's eating habits in a multi-ethnic London region. It's also a mouthful, my title. So <laughs> you saw me do this like a slight zombie face now trying to remember. Um, so I spent a year in a nursery and children's centre in, in an inner London borough. And uh, on the one hand, I'm exploring how children from a young age uh, construct their self and peer identities through food and eating. And then I'm also looking more broadly at uh, children's food policy in relation to family intervention policy more broadly in the UK. I also love that we have heard this from each other so many times, <laughs> and yet we are still looking interested. That's great. Um, before I go on to ask you the next question, I want to play a part of another tune that you guys brought in, this time by Imran, a really beautiful uh, Brazilian song. I don't know if you want to tell us a bit more about these guys. Oh, the only background to this song is uh, a friend who share similar musical tastes as I do, sent me this, like, you love this album. Mm. And the album's really good. Uh, mm. But within the album, this is probably the song I like the most. And I guess th it's just very happy and, like, light and, like, oh, morning, let's wake mm. up, let's do stuff. But on the other side, I, uh, one of the things that's repeated is Janela, which is Portuguese for window, but also Bengali for window. So okay. I'm like, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Great. So this is uh, Novos Baianos with Preta Pretinha. Enquanto eu corria, assim eu ia me chamar. Enquanto corria a barca, me chamar. Enquanto corria a barca, me chamar. Enquanto corria a barca. Por minha cabeça não passava Só, somente só Assim vou lhe chamar Assim você vai ser Só, só, somente só Assim vou lhe chamar Assim você vai ser Só, somente só Assim vou lhe chamar Assim você vai ser 
slightly more soothing song than the first one we heard, but also lovely. Right. So my intention with doing this first episode, I forgot to mention at the beginning, mm -hmm. is that I'd like us to reflect a bit about how far we've come. So thinking back to the very beginning and the days in which we found out that we were going to do a PhD or that we got a scholarship maybe. And one of the questions that I asked you guys before the show was... Um, to think back about your research proposals, because I recently came across mine and realized how much my project has changed since then. Is that, is that something that happened to you guys as well? So I took some time to think about the questions you, you asked us. And I guess my topic hasn't really changed. I had um, perhaps, yes. So my, my way into getting to this research was through sound and through a particular question that I had about how sound works and what it does to people. And so most of what changed for me was the methodology and this most striking difference between sort of my research proposal and what I actually ended up doing was initially when I wrote my, my upgrade proposal, I had a wealth of methodological aims and I was really trying to get into this, doing sounded ethnography. Um, and I found that from a methodological point of view, working with sound is very difficult, which I was expecting. But um, it, I, I find that going and doing ethnography needs a lot of courage as it is. And I don't mean this to sound mm. pompous or anything, but in the sense that you need to go through a lot of... Um, sort of to, to, to go over your, your sense of being uncomfortable, your sense of how do I approach this person, oh, they think I'm an idiot, but still I should go and, you know, pursue and try to, 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 to get a sense of what's happening. Well, with sound, in a way, it becomes even more difficult. So um, I was hoping to do, for example, some sound walks with people, but this and sort of to meet them in the uh, their um, home in the morning and travel with them to church and that would have been sort of my dream methodology but that proved extremely difficult because it's London and that really dictates how you know how close you can get to someone in a in a private space and uh, people were lovely I'm not but sort of you judge from the everyday experience how far you can push um, again looking back I feel I should have been a bit more uh, courageous mm. um, in in my proposals and in sort of trying to get people involved mm. so I think that would that was my main my main change mm. my main mm. yeah I can relate to that I, I actually that's such a nice way of putting into words what I felt as well mm. which is what held me back from doing some home interviews I ended up with much fewer yeah. um, home interviews that I had anticipated for that very reason actually mm. so that's a very nice way of phrasing it what about you Imran for me there wasn't there hasn't been as much of a change from what I wanted to do to what I've ended up doing. Obviously, there were I had to be flexible mm. when it came to particular organizations I wanted to work with or access to individuals that I would have loved to have interviewed or spent time with, but it didn't happen. And I think it's a mixture of, as you're saying, just 
being a bit bolder mm. and being, I guess, swallowing that kind of like, okay, people might think I'm an idiot, but let me just do this for the sake of doing it because... Yeah. But, yeah. So that would have been one thing. But also I would say one of the things for me which is quite interesting is it ended up being or I ended up looking at particular things that I w- hadn't gone in thinking I would be looking mm, at. Mm-hmm, mm. So um, without going into too much detail, there's a whole new kind of wave of we're doing development, as it were, which when I was writing the research proposal, it was still kind of starting. So this was 2013. So it was kind of there, but not as strongly, or there were a lot fewer act. Uh, there were fewer actors doing mm. that kind of work, but by the time I returned, uh, 2016, 17, that had really taken off. So that was interesting to see how quickly things shift sometimes. Yeah, definitely, and I like that flexibility that we get in anthropology as well, even if it's scary to have to change midway. Mm. Yeah. And we've heard from from our peers, and uh, we have colleagues who had to change, you know, significantly because I don't know the country where they were mm. going was some, suddenly at war or something like this. So, mm. yeah, you do need a lot of flexibility. Yep. Do you remember during field work when we were worried that we wouldn't have enough data? Oh God, yes. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I can't remember much. Oh, yes. No, I I definitely remember this from when I was writing the upgrade. I remember writing the first chapter and thinking, how how will I ever reach 60,000 words? And then I ended up with an upgrade of 75 uh, without bibliography. But this is just because you just write in all everything that comes to mind. The third year upgrade. Yes. but And then you kind of wade through. And then I find myself having now to kind of start chipping away of all the experience so-called extraneous data, which, of course, is not extraneous. You feel kind of just chopping off a leg. But um, you kind of, at the end, you have to, you have to kind of, yeah, chisel away all mm. the all the stuff that doesn't really um, mm. uphold your, your so-called argument. Or I read recently that every block of marble has a statue inside of it. So. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like I was speaking to a friend over the weekend who's just started their fieldwork mm. and they're having some issues not issues, they're just I guess the first few months of fieldwork are always a bit slower than you yeah. have in your head and I was saying how of the, I did 100 plus interviews because I was like oh, I need to get stuff Yeah. Um, and then I did different methodologies in life, oral histories yeah. and then all these different things and how I've kind of realising now I'm relying on maybe about 15 of them yeah, like 15 individuals, like 40 people um, Yeah, and I have a friend who only did they did their research and they've passed and they finished like a few months ago and they did I think 65 different individuals uh, interviews with 65 different individuals and uh, they did similarly like only use 15 people or so and 8 core people so this mm. idea that you need data, mm. you need so much data but it's the richness which, as yeah. I was explaining to my friend that, and you don't really know until the end yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's a perpetual like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah no I think this is definitely hopefully providing some reassurance to mm-hmm. people doing research right now and to yeah 
Sorry. Uh, perhaps the only thing I would add, again, sort of looking back, was that I wish, I wish I would have uh, written more, mm. more descriptions of. Yeah. In, in my case, it was the regularity that sort of at some point kind of really absorbed me. Um, and I would sort of go every Sunday and you have the same type of service and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and so I, I can see in my field notes that at some point I can kind of distinguish a moment mm. where I felt a bit more being part of mm. sort of really immersed because I start writing less. And then I would kind of kick myself and like, OK, no, 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 you're. You're right. You're doing ethnography here. So start writing again. So even apart from interviews, but sort of just more reflection, more writing down of stuff you see, you hear, you smell. Yeah, but it was so tiring. Like I yeah. got home in the evenings and I like the idea of doing field notes was a torture. Yes, I I know. Yeah, I was good for the first few months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I would write full sentences and description. <laughs> and by the end of it, it was like, bullet point and I will fill you in later <laughs> if our supervisors are listening to this please disregard <laughs> the last few minutes of this conversation because everything was written up in fully fledged yeah. descriptive paragraphs and pages and pages yes <laughs> so Alina uh, told me something that I really loved to describe what writing feels like on a day that I texted her and asked how's your writing going she said Writing is like walking waist high through a mud lake, then arriving in a calm stream, then being completely shattered by a violent whirl and then spat on a slimy green algae bottom of a pond that's just soggy and a frog leaps on your face and you're happy that it leaps away and doesn't pee on you. So yeah, it's going. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> I can't imagine anything that would better describe what writing feels like. H how did you come up with this? Because <laughs> it's quite specific. It's like inverse visualization <laughs> for meditative purposes. Yes, I don't know. I think it was a combination of me missing uh, missing the seaside. It's because spring is coming and... Um, Usually at springtime, I, I get most homesick. So I miss I miss the seaside and the beach and so on. So, um, yeah, it's just got a lot of sogginess. And <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Our next song was also brought by Imran. And it is one of the loveliest songs I have heard in recent times. It is called Zina by an Algerian band uh, called Babylon. No, um... This one's got a good story. <laughs> so I have, I don't know them, I don't know this music, but my niece, my sister's little kid, she really likes this song. So before fieldwork, when they were visiting, like it was one of the songs that it, we just played it like at least three or four times a day <laughs> over the summer. And it's really nice. And she loves the video. So it has very like pleasant and happy connotations because regardless of how many times she'd watch it on loop, um, there'd always be a scene in the video where there's a guy and he's at the beach and he looks slightly sad and Ariana would turn and be like, why is he sad? And then in a few seconds he'd be with his friends and they'd be playing the guitar and they'd be happy and he's like, oh, she'd always be like, he found his friends, it's okay. <laughs> Great. Like, yeah. That is a lovely story to add to a lovely song. All right, here we go. غدوة ثاني متمني 
يكتب بالمكتوب ونكون حداك آه يا قلبي شوف هواك وين رماني فوق بحر صافي بمواج وداني معاه تبع رياح الحب وعندك حطني ودعني وصاني وقلي حبيبك ما تنساه هزينا ما درتي فينا أنا وقلبي حوسنا لك ما لقيناها يا زينا ما درتي فينا أنا وقلبي حوسنا لك ما لقينا بالقمر بعيونك ضويتي قالوا لي عليك نجمان يا نجمة ما بنتي وين كنتي هذا شحال قولي لي علاش هربتي قالوا لي خرجتي في ظلام بعلي يا سولتي في غياب القمر بعيونك ضويتي قالوا لي عليك نجمة يا نجمة ما بنتي ويكونتي هذا شحال قولي لي علاش هربتي سينا ما درتي فينا انا وقلبي حوسنا عليك ما لقينا يا سينا ما درتي فينا انا وقلبي حوسنا عليك ما لقينا Another reason why I wanted us to think a bit about the beginning of our PhD is because I recently came across the diary entry I wrote on an old journal on the day I found out I got a scholarship to come and do my PhD here. And I, I wrote, remember how happy you are today in case this gets difficult. <laughs> in um, case. In case. <laughs> I was so naive. <laughs> um, but it's true that, I mean, on good days, I realize what a privilege it is to be doing what we do. 
And um, and I do find it helpful to sometimes to take a step back and, and think about that. Sometimes it's also useless because I just feel even guiltier that I'm not progressing <laughs> and I'm just getting paid to sit and look at my screen. But I wanted uh, to... Funding bodies here just overlook the last <laughs> five, ten seconds of this. It's Is maybe your... one or two days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's over four years, like three or four days it's, are allowed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but I wondered if you guys also felt equally happy when you found out. And I mean, also the reasons why you wanted to pursue a PhD in the first place. I guess it comes back to what I was saying earlier. I was... I was a bit frustrated at the fact that the lens through which academia looks at Bangladesh is primarily, or a lot of times, through a developmental lens, and within that, it's a particular type of development or particular aspects of development that they focus on. And I was actu- I actually did my um, proposal as I was looking for jobs in Bangladesh, in development. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, for me, it was partly to understand more about what was happening and partly to add, or this is, the, this is you know, the, oh, to add to so that to the body of literature, corpus of knowledge. Or Funding bodies pay attention now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just wanted to, like, because it's something that had been on my mind for a while and I'm interested in morality and I'd been interested in morality for a long time. And I just thought it'd be interesting to look at it from that lens because it's something that's usually overlooked as particular areas of the world produce particular types of knowledge and they fit nicely into those boxes. So, And that was essentially to learn more about it, to write about it, but also at the same time, maybe if I'm cynical about myself try and be like it's okay to continue working in development mm. <laughs> so mm. yeah and were you happy when you found out you got into SOS and um, the PhD yeah I was I wasn't it was, I was I wasn't thinking I would to be honest because I put in the application and I was putting in other applications for other work and stuff so I just put it in thinking let's see if it happens and I was going to say luckily, but let's see. It did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Alina? Um, I cannot remember when... I can't remember anything about the time when I got accepted. I can't... I, I think I... I imagine I was happy because um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and I come... I come from a sort of family background and so on where um, I was guided towards studying and sort of I like being in school. So for me, the PhD was just another stage of being in school after the MA. The MA went well and I liked it and so on and so forth. So I thought, of course, you, I will apply for a PhD. Um, and I was very happy to, to um, have my supervisor accept my project and so on and so forth. So, But I can't, I don't have, um, and I didn't really go back through any of my notebooks. I may have written something down, but anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I was, um, I imagine I was happy. And I'm still happy. Um, but the, the thing is, I'm pretty sure I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I think I had an uh, image of oh, four years of reading and you mm. have all this time to yeah. read and to write and you actually go and talk to people and really sort of explore this 
question about sound that you're really into and mm. I still am into. But I did, wasn't... Even with the DMA, I was not aware of how much, um, how how very different the writing will be um, in terms of, of sort of depth and, and length and <laughs> sort of everything, and how much more of your of your stamina it will it will take. But no, I'm I'm happy about it certainly. But it's yeah, it's been a very different experience. I think there is a bit of a disconnect as to, and I'm drawing on what you're saying, and I completely agree. There is a big disconnect in between what you think this process is and what Mm. it actually is. Yeah. Because, can I rant a little bit? Please. (laughs) That's why we're here. (laughs) Because there is this whole thing of, like, original contribution Mm. to knowledge slash academia. And, yes, that's important, but I feel like that, also becomes a black hole quagmire yeah. that is like, am I doing anything that's interesting, new, and who actually cares? Yeah. But also coming back to this four-year limit on what the PhD is, particularly in a field like anthropology, where you have twelve months of field work, of which maybe say ten actual months of field work, and then trying to find your feet for the rest, and then having to come back and make sense of it and write it in a rush. It kind of, I don't know, for me it feels like it diminishes a little bit from the kind of lofty goals that maybe, I, I know, I certainly came in to this process thinking about, but that's not communicated throughout the process, so it's kind of, so it kind of feels like you're still held to the standards of being able to take five years or maybe five and a half years to mm. actually go through your data to actually do field work to go back and revisit your field but you're still supposed to finish something that is let's be honest a fat piece of document that only two people and your supervisor if they're a good supervisor will actually read but we all have good supervisors here yeah (laughs) oh come on that that sounded a bit staged (laughs) (laughs) no but you know what i mean in terms of absolutely and it and it is still within this kind of pass-fail, tick-boxy mm. thing of, okay, am I doing it the way I need to do it, as opposed to this is what I would really love to do, mm. and yeah. let's see how this format fits into wider. Which... I'm, I'm really glad you, you point that out, because that's, yeah, I think that is the, the most striking experience, the fact that you you think, and you think four years is a long period of time, where your mind should have time to mm. sort of digest all of these things and so on. But, um, and it's very difficult to let go of that, of the fact that you should be, it's four years of your life and you should be writing something original, kind of with a capital O sort of thing, something. But you end up realizing, again, how, how much you need to kind of chip away of the data and make sure, okay, is this saying something? Again, I'm talking now. I have a few more months to to submit. Like, is this saying something, anything? <laughs> and then, kind of, push yourself to: is this saying something original? Which maybe I've, yeah. And yeah. and I don't know. This this is more a question. If mm. I'm allowed to ask questions, <laughs> um, <laughs> you are. Um, I'm imagining for you, 
it would also be nice to incorporate sound into your actual thesis. I actually thought actual. about that as well. That's a very, yes, that's another discussion. Um, and I was talking about this with my supervisor and I've had, uh, at some point I, w- I had an idea. This was after I submitted my upgrade and I was very happy about that. Not about the upgrade necessarily, <laughs> but just the fact that I submitted it. Um, so, and I was, I was already getting ideas about, oh, how, how to, sub- you know, how to actually make this a sounded ethnography. Um, and I was thinking of making an audio book of blending mm. in my voice of the te- with the text and the voices of my, you know, from recordings and interviews and so on and so forth. Um, and then, you know, which still seems relatively feasible uh, but then you end up you know just needing to finish up the piece you need to yeah. write and, you need to, and speaking to some of our friends who submitted already so many of them pointed out oh, it was in the last two months that I really felt that things were yeah. coming together and I felt that okay I now have you know I can pull the pull the you know all the threads together yeah. and make them uh, weave properly and so on. So perhaps, I don't know, as a future project, but you're mm. absolutely right. The format dictates quite a bit, which in turn, in, at the same time, I think it might be a, a good way, to, again, to hone our skills. So, you know, having limitations can prepare you in very particular ways and at least give you a, like a solid ground, I guess. Yeah, and so. then you can, you, can, you can go from there. Great. I'm going to put a pause on that uh, because we will talk a bit more at length about the kind of struggles we're facing at the different stages at which we are at. A little musical interlude now. Another one of uh, Alina's lovely Romanian songs. Oh, okay. Uh, Maria Tanase. Yes. Pevale Tato Pevale. Okay. Can I just give a... So, yes. So, uh, Maria Tanase, again, a Romanian singer. I, I Lately, I've been listening. Maybe I'll talk about this when we're talking about challenges. But anyway, Romanian singer. Um, uh, pe, pe, the song is called Pevale Tato Pevale. It's a love song. Uh, it's a very typical Romanian folk song um, that you would hear sung in sort of late night bars and stuff like this in the 20s, 30s, 40s, something like this. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Here we go. listening to the song earlier and um, I just thought it was a beautiful song but also 
like a pained song maybe and I thought it would be a nice one to ease us into the conversation about the struggles but I don't know what what um, she's saying it's an inter- it's it, uh, I find it a very sensual song uh, not necessarily sad but remain sort of folk songs in Romania uh, many of them have this sort of combination of uh you know it can it can be a relatively uh, let's say happy topic and so on but the the rhythm and the sort of sound of the music can be uh, can you know bring up very different emotions including sorrow and so on and so forth uh so there's always a combination of these of these emotions in but in i songs. feel maybe that's a bit what the phd is yes well a very a very nice transition <laughs> i definitely feel that way that sometimes i mean i love my topic so much mm. and i'm so happy that i'm writing about this but then just the process is so painful <laughs> so it's really it is a love-hate relationship yeah so we've talked a bit already about the struggles that we're facing at different stages so mm. imran and i third years Um, still kind of analyzing data and, and trying to make sense of it. Alina already almost at the finish line. So Imran, you were you were about to launch into into some other aspect of the of the suffering oh, <laughs> of the I struggle. Was actually, gonna just say what I because it's silly that we still have to give like leather bound hard copies. Yeah. Like, I I'm sorry to sort of interrupt. I I. So I'm I'm not against that. I but however I would welcome having being able to produce something else. But then again you go mm. into the discussion about time and you know how much and so on yeah. and so forth. Uh but certainly b- being more open to uh, extra forms of, you know, um of material of any kind mm. with your I mean I yeah, for me it's going to be a boring book. because <laughs> I didn't really take that many pictures either so it's mm. so I yeah I completely agree with mm-hmm. you but then it's not limiting people when yeah like particularly if we're looking at knowledge production how much can you understand list reading about a particular sound or visual if you're not yeah. shown um but I c- can still rant about other things <laughs> <laughs> oh no I was just going to say that sometimes it does really feel i think going back to what you're saying the privilege of just being mm. able to like ah uh, you know what today i just want to find articles about x and then spending a day or two just like oh let me see if there's anything interesting that i've random thought and let me see if i can work this into my chapter or section or whatever and then just being able to do that or not like i've had a few instances where I thought they were super creative but a bit left field and I sent just initial thoughts to my supervisor and he's like he's super nice and very diplomatic. So he's like, "Yes, well, maybe maybe put this to aside until you refine what you're thinking <laughs> about or we, you can come back to it later to see how it fits into the wider piece." Yes, that and sounds I, very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> instead of like No, you just no. <laughs> yeah, no. See, we're really being cared for by our supervisors, uh, or at least in my experience. Uh, and it's it's such an important role in this whole writing process yeah. to have someone to kind of guide you and obviously not tell you what to do, but sort of just ease you into taking decisions and um, so on. So yeah, I think yeah that uh, people who've asked me about. 
oh, you're doing a PhD. I'm thinking about doing a PhD. <laughs> like, what do you think? I'm, I only have two things to say. It's like, do you actually like your topic? Mm. If you don't mm. already have a topic, yeah. then don't apply. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to be doing something for four years. And yeah. it's isolating. It's It gets very boring. They're peaks and troughs. Mm. And on the other hand, like, do you know who you want to supervise you? Because otherwise, and find out about them. Speak yeah. to people that they've supervised before. And or meet them. students and speak to them beforehand. Mm. Because if you guys clash, then your experience is going to be not great. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly important relationship. Mm. It really is. Both yeah. for your... It, and it's not the important thing to to meet and speak to them is it's not just about the in intellectual journey it's really about being you know in the moments when your your confidence is low or you don't know sort of what to do how to go about it and so on and so forth to have someone who will kind of be kind of touch that balance between being encouraging but not too sort of motherly and sort of give you a kick in the bum but at the same time hold your hand if that makes sense yeah um so uh, yeah it's an incredibly important um relationship mm -hmm. but in terms of, yeah in terms of challenges as you say there's certainly and i remember now speaking about the writing process you have your ups and downs and you have those moments where you you're the, the most frustrating ones for me are the ones where I, I feel that I'm almost catching an, an mm. idea. It's like grabbing for it in, in the darkness or, you know, it's like a fish that slips between your fingers mm. and you're not you're close, but then you're not. And those are the most frustrating for me. <clears throat> oh, for me, sometimes it's you think you have it and then. You share it and people are like, what, that's so basic <laughs> or that makes no sense. And you're like, oh. But or then it's all their fault. It's not yours. I mean, it's true. They don't understand because genius. Obviously. Of course. <laughs> Staple genius. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or the worst, at least I experienced that today. I thought I had this incredible idea for the chapter I'm writing. And then lo and behold, I found a paper that is literally exactly <laughs> what i was planning i think this is what i was saying a few a few days back um i was sort of doing some extra reading for a bit of a chapter and uh, again had a similar experience so that's why i sort of sent an email to everyone who's in third year read read everything now yeah um, because <laughs> we're <are> trying <laughs> and it's it's not just finding someone who's already said something you know everything that you said or partially what you said but um the reading experience really changes in the fourth year at some point you're you just don't want to read anymore because it takes you away from, you know, the path that you need to follow now because you need to submit. Mm. Um, and it really, uh, you know, it kind of distracts you. Of course, it's lovely to read about all these interesting things, but your mind starts wandering and then it's, it's, you need to bring it back to, to what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, to pick up our morales a little bit, mm. <laughs> I'm going to now play a song that I really like, actually, from Los Fabulosos Cadillacs, another mm. contribution of Imran's. Any any fun story behind this one? Um, no, I just, I was like, oh, those two songs are very mellow. Let me mm. not be <laughs> so boring. <laughs> so Great. It's just, a, I think it's similar to the first song in terms okay. of, for me, it makes me go, ah, yeah. Cool. Like, wake up and do stuff instead of like chill and like ugh. Right, so this is Los Fabulosos Cadillacs with Calaveras y Diablitos mm -hmm. 
amarla La vida es para vivirla Such a nice little pick-me-up, yeah. which leads us nicely into our final <laughs> discussion of the day, which is uh, hopefully going to be an, an end, a positive end. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, what have been your proudest moments so far in this path? Oh, <laughs> I think, yeah, as you've taught oh. as well, because yeah. I'm looking forward to that mm. experience. It's So I, I guess my... M- Sort of my hesitation in replying, I, I find it difficult to relate to the sentiment of pride, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, certainly some of the most fulfilling, if if I can sort of turn the phrase in that direction. Um, yeah, teaching is an extraordinary experience. You learn so much more and your reading changes. The, the way you read and the way you engage material really changes when once you have to explain it to, to someone else and you feel a great deal of responsibility in doing that but it's just so fun to see people engaging with it and sort of challenging them with questions and then and students challenging you with questions as well which is not necessarily just in the sense that oh covering your knowledge but really covering sort of challenging you in terms of how you interpret things and how you relate to things so that's that's certainly um something i would recommend uh, students try i mean phd students try I don't know, maybe making it this far so far, <laughs> and maybe in September getting in <laughs> again. <laughs> we will. We yes, will. you will. I think you guys have done such a great job this year of bringing the cohorts together. I think you should be proud of that. I, I mean, we... I think, as I don't know about you, but like for me it's been as much fun just doing those yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a way to things, but also feel like it's contributing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we were quite, because we didn't really know each other. So we met at the beginning of this academic year. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, I think I personally feel very, very sort of um, happy that we got to work together and do the student rep uh, together. So, uh, and we seem to be thinking along the same lines in many of the cases, which is good. Yeah. Um, So yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been certainly fun I mean the other day at the post-fieldwork seminar I had crisps <laughs> and the bag was open and and then I came sat next to me and helped herself to some oh. and afterwards like we're beyond asking yes. which is really nice it is it certainly is yeah <laughs> that is the point of a friendship everyone wants to get to <laughs>
Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys really should be proud of that. I think it takes a lot of commitment and hard work to make those things work. Plus, we've had some very interesting uh, workshops and things that you've hosted. The last one was a bit depressing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the last one we had was about getting postdocs and yeah. funding for postdocs, and it was a bit bleak. Yes. I'm sorry it happened on your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that it was my birthday. Yeah, but, it, it, it yeah. was rather bleak. But then at the end of the day, you know, it's better to have things, uh, mm. you know, told true, you know, in a straightforward manner. And also, it doesn't hurt to have, yeah, sometimes it's maybe better not to have rosy kind of mm. outlook and preparing for the worst. And if things go well, they go well. But if they take a bit longer, it's fine. I think one of the speakers is saying how not to get down on yourself mm. if you're not getting. Yeah. And I think that was actually really important, not just the level of competition, but also who knows who, and you don't know what the internal kind of, what mm. exactly institutions mm. or funding bodies are looking for. Yeah, no, so. that's very true. And I think it also kind of plays into that whole discussion about differences, sort of what you expect and what you end up doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've, this has happened during the four years of doing PhD, but as as the speakers were, were pointing out, after you submit your PhD, you will need to enter a, a very different sort of sphere and almost you have to start speaking a different language and different way of writing applications and so on and so forth. So if you want to go on doing research of any kind, you kind of need to learn. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, a very, it seems, tricky question from our conversation during the musical pause. Uh, why do we think, despite the difficulties, that what we do is important and worth pursuing? Oh, I mean, for me, it's, it's <laughs> like, I find it interesting. And from a very kind of delusional self-interested perspective, like, I find the topic interesting and I feel that no one else is doing it or mm. in is interested in doing it. So maybe it'll be interesting for other people, but it's very kind of, I guess, egotistical and selfish to be like, I enjoy it. It's interesting to me and hopefully it'll mean something to other mm. people. Yes, it's very I personally find it very difficult to, to um, argue very compellingly why this is important so why and just to make sure is it why is it important to do a phd or why is it important to do the particular topic that i'm doing i don't know which one is easier to answer <laughs> oh well <laughs> neither really i think uh yeah it does it does kind of give off that sense that it is you know i'm so fascinated by this topic but i'm trying to think that it's not inherently bad and it's it's not you are producing something that is potentially useful to other people. I again, I'm I'm personally trying to to uh, cover sort of material or an area of the discipline that hasn't been dealt with huge detail. I guess I should say, and it's I don't know. It keeps your mind going, and you're I, I it's it just a PhD kind of just keeps you walking on the edge. I guess mm. you're kind of like an acrobat, like a man on wire, and you're kind of just trying to balance yourself and i i just find it a very good exercise for the mind yeah do you have good balance 
No. <laughs> Neither physically nor mentally. <laughs> but then that kind of comes with the territory, I guess you... Yeah, I don't know. But um, it helps to... I personally find it that it helps it's sort of just thinking through why this is important. It, I find it extremely helpful to be with friends who are doing similar um, work. So in working in anthropology, I find it very, very helpful to be with people who are, have nothing to do with anthropology, mm. nor PhDs for that matter. And then it really, really brings me down to explaining and sort of ju not justifying, but explaining what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and what I'm getting out of it and what, what the purpose is, as a good friend of mine would, would say. Yep. So I, because uh, in one of your questions, you were talking about coping strategies. Mm. And I personally find that having friends who are not um, in anthropology, I mean, friends in anthropology, they're very important. <laughs> I'm not just saying so you no, know, but just uh, being in a, in a context where, you know, people won't necessarily know who Malinowski was or and having to, to work through those things. That's very, very helpful. I find. Yeah, being outside the particular bubble is important. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're like, I don't care. Everything's intersubjective. It was funny. <laughs> like you know, just like just every so things are nice and surface level. And this yeah. is why mindless TV is so good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, I completely agree. Yes, being somewhere out of a bubble where you uh, really unpack and dissect everything. It's, it's, again, that's good exercise for the mind as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that note, I would like to thank <laughs> you both so much for this very enriching conversation and for being the first guests on these, on this podcast series, which I hope will have more than one episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you for having thank us. You, yeah, it's thank been you. very fun. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I'd have anything to say, but... <laughs> we <laughs> always find something to say. Yeah, That's why I invited you, I know that you did. <laughs> uh, the last song we're going to play is from Alina, and I was laughing a lot in the PhD room earlier when I saw the video that came with it. I have not seen this film. What? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about it? It's a Monty Python song. So it's, it's the... Uh, you know those those sort of uh, games where people ask you what films you, would you take or music or mm. whatever you would take with you on an island? I would certainly take this film. Really? It's extremely smart and funny and uh, challenging. What's your favorite bit of the film? I like the I, uh, I I like all of it, but one very very good scene is when Brian is uh, at his window, um, and the crowd has followed him to his yeah. house. Uh, some carrying a gourd, some carrying his sandal, his shoe, and he opens up the window and he says, "You're all individuals," um, and then the whole crowd says. We're all individuals in many, many voices. And then he continues, you don't need anyone to tell you what to do, to which the crowd replies, we don't need anyone to tell us what to do. So I, I think that's a very poignant, very poignant scene. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to SOS Radio for lending us their studio this afternoon. This was The Impostors, and I look forward to greeting you back here in a month's time. Bye. Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps 
Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Come on! Always look on the bright side of life. For life is quite absurd, and death's the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your scene, give the audience a grin. Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the right side of life. 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 First thing's happening to see, you know. Always look on the right side of life. What you got to lose? You know, you come from nothing, you go back to nothing. What you lost? Nothing. Look on the right side of life. Nothing will come from nothing, you know. Records available in the foyer. Who do you think pays for all this rubbish? Always look on the money back, you know. I told him. I said to him, Bernie, I said, they'll never make that money back. Always look on the right side of life.